On today's Shoot the Rock podcast, we have John Paul Guerrero, the LBA, Latino Basketball Association CEO. We talked to him about what his plans are for his upcoming tournaments, especially with the pandemic going on. We talk about how it is to run a tournament, let alone a Latino tournament. Um, and we talk about his upcoming 25th annual Las Vegas Latino Hoops Classic. And as always, we appreciate you for rocking with us because you're now rocking with the best. Let's get it. You have just tuned in to the Shoot the Rock podcast. Who they rocking with, Joe? Who they rocking with? That's right. Remix it. Remix it. You're now rocking with the best. Yes, yes. You're now rocking with the best. What up, and welcome back to the pod. I'm your host, Robert Zaragoza, a.k.a. The Commish, a.k.a. Big Z, a.k.a. Coach Z, a.k.a. So Big and So Sweet, a.k.a. The Latino Bleacher Report. Uh, with us today, we have a special guest, uh, John Paul Guerrero. Um, he is the a.k.a. LBA CEO. Um, he's a college referee, JPG. What's up, John? How's it going, bro? Hey, man, I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to it and just uh, trying to live the best quarantine life possible, man, in Southern California. I know, I know. Uh, beautiful weather outside, and, and we're, we're supposed to stay inside and, and stay cooped up. So how how's that been going for you um, as far as, like, uh, I know you were on Facebook the other day. Um, if you follow John, um, he's a Latino Basketball Association on, on all the social media platforms. And he has a big tournaments uh, in the Latino in the Latino scene. And one of the tournaments that um, was scheduled to come up was um, the Memorial Day tournament, which is an annual tournament. Uh, kind of can, can you let us know what um, what your message was about uh, the other day? Yeah. So uh, you know, obviously, uh, LA County for the people who are listening to this, that maybe outside of LA, probably LA County is a little bit stricter than most of the uh, most of the counties here in California. Uh, even like Orange County, like what was it uh, a couple weekends ago, you know, all the beaches are open in Orange County, but LA County has been staying really strong. And so we we made a decision, you know, I talked to some people, my family, obviously my daughters and uh, who helped me out in the tournament. And um, knowing that there was a lot of unknowns about when everything was going to open up, it was scheduled May 15th. I know they kind of did a soft opening yesterday. It was like a week before. I just felt that it wasn't enough time to prepare uh, to get Memorial Weekend off the ground, which is going crazy enough, it's gonna be two weeks from this, uh, the, two weeks from this weekend already. Yeah. So the first steps I did was um, I really talked with Joe Leon uh, from Tierra and obviously from his tournaments and uh, the CBL because uh, they probably bring the most amount of teams. See, Joe brings at least seven or eight teams. So we've been in contact since this whole thing started, and I asked his advice and, and like suggestions of what he thought would work. And he initially said July 4th weekend. He's like, but at the same time, at that time, he said, but, you know, uh, Semielo, which has run a, a Palm Springs tournament the last couple of years, they run one in June. So before I did anything, I reached out to Ephraim because I didn't want to step on anybody's toes by potentially moving it back uh, to a weekend that might affect other other tournaments. You know, it's kind of like an unwritten rule to kind of have all of uh, certain weekends. And so when I talked to Ephraim, he, he was... At that time, he was still set to go the same uh, weekend in June. It's like this uh, June 26th. And, uh, but then literally as soon as we got off the phone, I guess he called his contacts in Palm Springs and said there was probably going to be no chance for them to get the permits for the for his tournament this year. So he said that they're probably just going to take the year off. So that opened up a window for me uh, to push back. I know it's kind of weird to have a memorial tournament in June, but I guess you could say memorial slash LA tournament. Yeah. 
it, it gave me some uh, wiggle room. So uh, initially, I was going to put out a survey between either June 26th or July 4th. Uh, which one of those weekends because that's still it's about five or six weeks uh, uh, before Vegas because Vegas is scheduled August 17th and 9th and that's still uh, on schedule as of now and uh, so again I reached out to Joe and I said you know Joe you bring the most amount of teams which weekend works best for you June 26th or July 4th and ironically enough June 26th is his birthday weekend and he goes I, I was like I want to come out to LA for my birthday I was like cool I was like because July 4th is my birthday so uh, it was either going to be uh, hosted on your birthday weekend or my birthday weekend. So we chose to do the 26th, and that's where we're at. Um, and again, the crazy part about this, but that could change, you know, uh, week to week. You know, uh, it's going to take some planning this year with the tur- with the teams. I mean, I, I think on both parts, I'm going to have to probably be a little bit more flexible than I have in the past about taking teams. But they're also, as well as the teams, are going to have to really talk with their players. I, I think the first video I put out. You know, I really ask the teams, and even if they're listening to this, is I get it. You know, the word, there's a lot of unknowns, and if players don't feel safe, then hey, that's cool. I mean, uh, if they don't want to bring their families or they don't want to play in a tournament, I just ask that the teams, I kind of, you know, tell me up front so that I can kind of gauge where I'm at. Um, you know, and if they're going to commit, then I hope that they could, they can commit. You know, and again, I know there's bigger things out there, but. Uh, you know, as well as you know, when you run one of these tournaments, you've got to, you know, how many gyms, how many courts, how many hours to reserve, how many awards to buy, all, all that stuff. And this year's going to be a little bit different. I mean, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to have to get creative. And uh, I hope the teams understand that as well as they understand the responsibility of, you know, talking to their players and say, hey, are we really want to play or, you know, are we just going to take this year off? Are we going to wait? So I think there's, there's a lot of unknowns from everybody this year. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, it's been about a week since you put that post out. So how's the how's the, how's the response been from, from local Los Angeles Latino teams? And how's, been, how's it been from anybody um, outside of L.A.? Well, the first thing is that I'm going to try to run a small tournament Memorial Weekend since I still had the gym. And I figured guys would be jonesing to play since they haven't played in a while. Mm-hmm. So I've put put in like a little small uh, kind of, I call it a play-in tournament. And the response for that has actually been pretty good. Okay. Uh, it looks like I'll have enough open teams. And I'm just going to, I mean, the max I'm going to take is eight. It's going to be like four to eight teams and uh, the 35 and over. Uh, uh, Samix has <laughs> already called and they're going to play in bowls. So the, initially... Everything seems okay because the, the one thing about the LA tournament versus the Vegas tournament, pretty much other than Joe and maybe Samix, most uh, 95% of the teams all come from the state of California. Gosh. It's not, not you know, we're not getting a lot of teams to drive uh, traditionally. Uh, the last couple of years, we've added maybe one or two Phoenix teams. Um, but I would, again, I would say 90% of the teams in, in the LA Memorial tournament have been. Uh, driving. I mean, you got Joe Molina, who I mean, he probably flies, but from up north, uh, he sounds like they're they're, they're going to play in the June tournament. Uh, so again, as of now, it seems like uh, I haven't got any negative responses. But for my uh, my Latino brotherhood, traditionally it takes about ten texts for me to find out if they're in or not. So yeah. um, this weekend was going to be. In fact, I know tomorrow's Mother's Day, and uh, if this is going to go out to all the LBA moms, Happy Mother's Day tomorrow. We got American and Mexican Mother's Day on the same day tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so tomorrow evening, I was going to start shooting out texts. I, I did the, the the post on Facebook and I did a mass email, but guys seem to respond more to text than anything. So I'm going to shoot out some mass text this weekend and just cage the interest for both tournaments and just say, see where everybody's at. But I, I think both of them are going to happen. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be as big. I mean, but that's just my gut. I mean, I don't, 
there's again there's a lot of unknowns like I, in, in LA traditionally I do a high school boys and high school girls tournament and they're small they're you know four to six teams mm-hmm. uh, the high school boys actually has been a little bit bigger you know maybe seven or eight teams and I just don't know if any you know parents are gonna you know if their teams are gonna be one willing to play or go out and play in you know five weeks from now or four weeks from now so th- those are the unknowns I think the the men's divisions will will happen um but again, I don't know what, what they'll look down look like. I don't know if it's gonna be a scaled down version. Um, but I guess we'll we'll find out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, only only time will tell, I guess. I mean, especially with the with the unknowns of the uh, of what's going on, um, you know, in the news and everything like that. Um, what you know, I was you're talking about you know how how much work it takes to to run a tournament and i think sometimes um as tournament directors you know it gets it gets overlooked um and you've run one of the largest um in the area on the west coast for sure uh latino tournaments in vegas um i think last year or two years ago you had close to 100 teams or 100 teams um what are some of the the nuances one of the some of the the ins and outs that maybe some people don't know about running a tournament that big um in regards to like you know liability and insurance and people that work for you and the referees and getting teams down and catering to everyone's schedule like people don't realize that i mean it's people are you know certain people are, are pretty singular and they think about like well myself you know and, yeah. and that, you know, sometimes, you know, when you're a tournament director, you can't just think like that. You got to think of like the whole every all 100 teams. So, what are some of the things that, you know, when when you started the the Vegas tournament, did you anticipate it being this big? No, I never did. Well, you know what? Let me take it. It was a dream. I always, when I first started it, uh, just because obviously the number, I wanted it to have 64 teams, just because that's like the March Madness, you know, the number. And I think if I go back, uh, and ironically enough, this will, it will be the 25th anniversary of Vegas. I think the first year, you know, 25 years ago, I had, I think, 39 or 41 teams, right around there. But it was just two divisions. Back then, uh, it was just open and 40 and over. And it, it, obviously, now we have close to seven or eight divisions now. And um, when I first started, that was the goal, was 64 teams, because I, I really just, the numbers seemed to pop. And then as the years went on, you know, um, the crazy part is that I was really kind of, I guess, naive. Because when I first started, I mean, one, being 25 years old. And then two, I was actively playing at that time. I mean, I had my team with Sangre Latina. So I wore three hats. And, and I did that for several years before I freaking, I, I guess you could say, I, I wisened up. Because I used to run the tournament. I used to play in the tournament. And then I used to referee the, in the tournament. And partly I think I was being young and cocky. And I, I just, I think I did it because I could. Um, but as I as the tournament started growing, I, I tell the story to anybody who listen. The tournament really in Vegas really took off the minute I stopped refereeing. Uh, I, I think the team was towards the end of the towards the end of our time, you know. So we played probably competitively in Vegas maybe five or six years. But at that time, Sangre was you know we were getting older, so so stop playing wasn't an issue because I knew that, that that kind of father time kind of takes care of that. But as a, as a referee, you kind of like, especially, you know, the tournament you don't run, you know, you like to referee the best games, you like to be out there. And, but the minute I, I realized that to stop refereeing, I could really manage the tournament, I think is when the tournament started to grow. That's when it like said, okay, uh, I think we've, I've made leaps and bounds of, of organizing the tournament by not being on the floor. Because, I mean, I, I think back now I would be refereeing and I'd have to step off the floor to take a call or be literally walking up the court on a game with the phone on my ear and, 
or the scorekeeper was relaying messages to me and um and now you know i kind of just run it and i have obviously good staff that help me but uh to go back to your to your question your sec- i guess your first question about the biggest thing i you actually said it the biggest thing for me is it says catch 22 because the reason we have so many teams is i think i really i i try to bend backwards to accommodate as many teams i mean for one of my biggest, uh, I guess you could say, uh, pet peeves is that I put out the dates for Vegas. Like this year, the dates are August 7th, 8th, and 9th. And they've been out for, you know, seven, eight months. And I've always told teams that if they really want to win Vegas, if they take Vegas seriously, they should take that Friday off. Now, I get everybody's different. I get, you know, um, the hardest part about Vegas is I don't have a holiday weekend. You know, the other two big tournaments are some of the bigger tournaments all, you know, when you have a holiday weekend, it makes it easier. So like Memorial Weekend, to run Memorial and have that holiday is on Monday where people are not working. It's a national holiday. is great. And obviously the biggest tournament with Tommy Nunes, you know, Labor Day weekend, to have that, he has that holiday on Monday, it really makes the tournament easier to run. And obviously with Vegas, ever since it started, I never had a holiday. And the first, the first two years, we actually tried to start on Thursday. It was kind of crazy. We actually had a couple games on Thursday night. I was trying to get teams to come in on Thursday, and I was, and that didn't work. I tried it like for two years. Um, but the hardest part is like I tell teams like, hey, you know what? Uh, um, you know, if you know, if you really want to play in this tournament, you know, take Friday off. And and I get it, you know. But that's my biggest pet peeve is that you know teams will want to play, and even teams that have been playing year in year out, they'll wait, and all of a sudden July fifth or. 12 they'll call me here and they'll be like hey we need to play late on friday well no duh everybody wants to play late on friday because everybody wants to whether they want to get their legs rested or they got guys you know literally getting off work in la at 12 o'clock and driving to vegas or flying everybody wants the late games and and the challenge there is i try to be equitable i try to be i, I try to see the teams based on the year before and if you know once we introduced pool play uh it was trying to make everything equitable and the two biggest things I try to make equitable is the pools, A, and then uh, and then along with that is to seed them based on the year before, and then B is with the game times. So with the game times, I thought the fairest thing was that the teams who paid in full first got to pick their game times, and that that has worked majority of the time. But then you got some teams that have been with you twenty something years, and you know then they'll call you and say, hey, you know what? I just my best player just told me, he, you know, whatever he has, something going on. Can can I get the little games? And there's only so many late games you can give. It's not like, you know, uh, and that's the hard part. It's the hard part. And I, I know I'm going to put in some things this year because the, uh, the, the hard part, I guess the second hardest part is that I forget. Like yeah. right now, like if you, you, I could be having a conversation with you like June 15th and you say, John, I'm, I'm going to come, but I need the seven. And I, oh, cool, Z, you know, no problem. I'll put your team down. Mm-hmm. And I forget. And I, you know, and the next thing you know it, I do the schedule. And if anybody's ever done a schedule for a tournament, one of the worst things to do is to do the whole thing and then have somebody say, well, I need something changed. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's like a big puzzle. And then it's not a simple change. You have to start mixing things. So I think this year I'm going to have some kind of form that the teams, like if they want certain game time, they got to email in. So that way I can have a paper trail. Because knowing with Vegas, what I try to do is, you know, the, the, the schedule's always put out the week of. And that's just because it just takes so... Normally what I've done the last five or six years is a week before, normally I drive to Vegas. I drive the weekend before to drop off stuff. And I just kind of sequester myself in a room and I literally do it in phases. Like I'll start inputting stuff on the quick scores and then I kind of step away because I, I'll get a brain cramp. And then I come back. And this way, if I have the papers that tell me that, hey, this team wants to play at this time and, you know, what order, it'll probably help out. But that's probably the hardest thing. I think everything else, you know, 
has taken its taken its course over the years. Um, obviously, facilities. I mean, in Vegas, you know, trying to get the facilities. Uh, you know, I think it's a plus when you have multiple gyms, but then obviously, you know, there's some down part, you know, uh, with that. I try not to be too spread out because you don't want guys driving, you know, if they have games. So, uh, but for the most part, if you're going to ask me one thing, that is the hardest part is trying to accommodate so many teams. And I know some teams who pay on time and other people don't want to not accommodate them. So John just don't accommodate them. But then it's a catch-22 because then instead of having 97 or 98 teams, I might only have 70 or 65. Yeah. You know, so it's like you want to have you want to be able to accommodate. You know, and I think that's what's kind of made the found my niche was by accommodating so many teams. But it tends to bite you in the butt sometimes because it just and it's it's not nobody's fault. It's just I sometimes I just forget it's just flat out I forget or or a team thinks they told me a certain time they could swear they you know John I, I send you a text and. You know, I never could find that text, and, and I don't want to be a jerk. Is if a team paid five hundred or something dollars to play in the tournament, and they already have their flights or their rooms, and they thought they were going to play at six o'clock, and I have them down to play at one. I mean, that kind of you know, I well, don't want to be. And, it's, and, and what it what it does too is is as much as you want to balance out the tournament, sometimes the the people that say oh, I I got to play, I can only play on Saturday. Well, then you kind of almost got to put all those same similar teams with the same things in the same in the same pool, so it doesn't exactly. it doesn't balance out, and and then you know you get the the other people that that are just down to play whenever they look at the bracket, and they're like, well, why are you know why do we got these teams in our bracket? So yeah, for sure, it's definitely a catch twenty two. And one of the things that um, also like that that you've done in the past or. or uh, I've always done for Vegas is um, you've done pool play so teams are guaranteed their game I think uh, a couple years ago you guaranteed them through from three to four if I'm not mistaken and um, you know uh, and then you get some of the teams from like Texas that are like you should just make it double elimination or you know and you get the whole double el- elimination versus bracket uh, controversy so you know I, I, as much as you try to please everybody I, I know it's it's very difficult um, to do that yeah, exactly. And I think pool play has worked out. I think we've done pool play now for, you know, close to probably half the half the years, 12 or 13 years. And I took that idea from, I just stole that from an AAU tournament in Vegas because people might not remember. Uh, the first year I did pool play, all the teams made it out of pool play into tournament play. Well, I, I had what was called a gold division and a silver division. So if you ended up in the first two places, you ended up in the gold. And if you ended up in third or fourth place, you went to silver. And I thought this was like the best thing ever. I, I really thought, I'm like, you know, at that time, that year, I was basically guaranteeing everybody four games, which nobody was doing. But it was a disaster because the teams that made it to the silver were, there were some very good, as you know, yeah. if, over the years. There's some third place teams that end up being really, really good. And when they realized they couldn't compete for the big chip, they just didn't show up. And I think on, on, on Saturday night, Sunday morning, I had to be like 17 forces. And yeah, just, and so then obviously the teams that show up to want to play, they're pissed off because they're, you know, like, why why do we leave the pool? Why do we leave, you know, the hotel to come over here and the team doesn't show up? And then just the money aspect, you know, the, the waste of money to, to pay the officials, the scorekeeper, the gym. It just So I just did that one year. And then I came up with the following year to say, hey, you know what? Um okay we'll do the top three in the fourth place team we'll just you know hey if you're in the fourth place of a pool or fifth place out of a, uh, you know a five team pool I'm like you really don't have a shot so that worked and then um actually and, I, and I'll give credit where it's credit's due 
Abner from Fresa, you know, a couple years ago said, hey, John, you know what? We, we love your tournament, but, uh, you know, the, the, these teams are like, these are these are super teams. And we can't, you know, some of us can't compete. Some of your traditional teams just can't compete with the super teams. He's like, why don't you try to do two different divisions? And I was like, you know what, Abner, I tried that. Guys just weren't into it. So what I did last year is I created like a consolation bracket. So I gave uh, everybody who ended up in fourth place, the last place in the pool, instead of normally they'd go home, I gave them the option. I kind of thought ahead. I, I realized the mistake I made last time. So literally when the game was over, I, either I ran to the court or the scorekeeper ran to the, to the coach and said, hey, you're going to be able to play in a consolation bracket that's going to guarantee you another game. Do you want to play yes or no? And I scheduled those games towards the end of the tournament, uh, end of the day, so that if they didn't show up, I kind of already preempted the gym and the officials that I wouldn't have to be stuck with the cost uh, if a forfeit. Yeah. So I think if I, I probably look back. As I think only like two or three teams they said, "Hey, no, we're good. We don't want to play." But the teams that played, I think it really went well because now a team that would have paid, you know, the five hundred seventy-five dollars and got three games. A couple of them ended up paying that amount of money, and they played six games yeah. because now they got an extra three, and it just gave them an opportunity to play an extra game on Saturday, two more on Sunday, when normally they would have been eliminated. So I, I'm going to continue that format probably just in Vegas only, and uh, it just gave you know I get guys make a big investment, and you know sometimes the pools don't end up fair. I mean, it's just for whatever reason a new team will come in, and I, I didn't I didn't think they were as good as they were. I put them in a situation, and and now some poor team got like stacked with three really good teams, and now it gives them an opportunity to you know instead of playing three games and being done in Vegas, you know now they can play four, minimally four, and possibly five or six games. Yeah, and I think uh, running tournaments, you know, you have to listen to what, what what's going on. I know there was uh, times in um, <laughs> in San Diego uh, when I had a, a San Diego tournament about one or two years ago, and one of the guys I went like, "Hey man, I've been running this tournament the way this way since 2002," and he's like, "Well, maybe it's time to change." And it's like, you know, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. ah, "All right, you know, uh, let me let me take that with a grain of salt and let me look back at and just kind of listen, you know, because you you do have to listen to those guys and. Um, some of the things that, that, you know, have always been um, pressing for, for the Latino community is the, the certification. I know um, in the past, you know, we've done the, the, the protests and stuff like that. Um, and I know this has been something, I mean, I remember going to your house, uh, I don't know, probably in the early, late 90s, maybe 2000. Um, we were at your house and we were talking about the certification and stuff like that. How has that um, evolved and where is it at right now through the LBA? I know um, the NLT has um, our tournaments. We, we've tried to certify and, and create a, a, some type of uh, certification and verification on our end. Um, what's the LBA doing right now for, for certification of Latino basketball players? Well, as you stated, we went back and, and for anybody who's listening here, we, and I say we because I think I invited yourself, I invited a, um, I think we got Joe's input via phone, and there was a couple coaches that like that were playing in the tournament. Sandra, and, Latina, uh, yeah, Estrella, uh, Devastators. Um, yeah, I think yeah, uh, Ramon Carrera from at that time Fast Action, now SoCal Ballers. Yeah. And one of the biggest things at that time was, you know, do we grandfather people in? And I want to say that because a lot of people are upset, and and I get it. You know, um, I think people don't realize that. You know, I started playing in these tournaments. Gosh, I'm turning 50 this year, Z. So I, I started playing my first Latino tournament 32 years ago, yeah. when I was 17 years old, coming out of St. Paul High School, and. 
you know, it's evolved because at that time there wasn't as many teams and there wasn't as many tournaments. And they were, and they started, and I, and I can only tell you from my point of view, they started as more Mexican-American tournaments. That, and that's what was stated in the rules. It was Mexican-American. And I think, and I think even if you talk to Donnie or Tommy, even in his first years, it might have been in the rules where either your mom or dad or your grandparents had to be from Mexico to play. Now, as the as the tournaments got bigger, and the term we got I went away from Mexican American to uh, Hispanic to Latino, obviously, you know things changed. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I think we've we've talked about things really took a, a different turn when people from Belize were now considered to be Latino. I guess they're always considered, but there was nobody ever played in the Latino tournaments from Belize, mm-hmm. so that kind of like opened up. So it's been a struggle. Um, I'll tell you, it's probably been the hardest thing out of all these years. And but I think we're in on the uptick. You know, I've tried so many different things. I used to put it on the coaches. Hey, you know, you protest. And the hard part with Vegas is me being spread out. You know, uh, so it was the consistency of a protest being handled at one gym versus the other was very inconsistent. I guess you can say. And there were some coaches that felt that it wasn't their job. It was my job. It was the LBA's job to to do it. That they they shouldn't have to be the bad guy. So we went round and round, and I think last year, I think it finally got to a point, and we just have to build on the momentum. So last year, we only did it for Vegas, but this year we'll do it both for uh, L.A. and for Vegas, is that teams needed to turn in a roster ahead of time. So this way, uh, they turn in a roster, and if they didn't have a Spanish surname, they had to send in the, uh, their, their proof at the same time. So I will tell you, I, in theory, it worked out probably the best in Vegas last year. But we have we have a, we have a lot of strides to to go uh, a lot of improvements because one and again for all you coaches out there they have to do a better job you know again last year it was our first year doing it so I asked like for a deadline I put it up you know a nice Excel spreadsheet I told teams and you know just typically you know I, I would get the rosters by text I would get the rosters by voicemail and you know it's like. And at the same time, you know, you have a team that just gave you close to $600. Are you going to not let them play because the roster is not done correctly? So for in theory, I think it helped. I mean, it definitely helped. I know that for sure. But we, the ideal situation, what I'd like to do is to have everybody turn in their rosters. And we tried to do it last year and we got it done probably like at 60% was that every court would have a copy of every single roster in the tournament. So whether we're playing a Tarkanian, the YMCA or Jam on it, Every scorekeeper will have every single roster that's turned in from every team. Now, we only did this for the Open and Vets last year. And, we're, you know, I, I haven't got, found it necessary for, to do this for the high school, for the women's division, for the 50 and over. Uh, you know, that might change, but we just did it for the Open and Vets. And so my, 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 uh, the way I envisioned this was that so that every court would have it. So I wouldn't have to run to a court. So if you're playing against, you know, Joe's team uh, from, from Joe Molina's team, you're playing against Alma, Z's playing against Alma, and you see a guy on Alma that just doesn't look right, you would, all you'd have to do is ask the scorekeeper. The scorekeeper would look at that, and if his name was not on the roster, he just wouldn't play. And the only way to get on the roster is for me to approve it. So that, that's the, the way I envision. I, I think we'll be a couple years away because, again, I think with all this pandemic this year in Vegas, we'll probably not, you know, take a little hit. But I envision me being as strict as possible, saying that you have to turn in a roster two weeks before the tournament. I get it. Things change. There'll be a process to add a player, you know, that you can do. And that, that way that every roster on the court is the only way a player can play. So if John Guerrero, even though my last name is Guerrero, 
if I decide to get added to uh, the Assassins team at the last minute, and Jimmy from Assassins doesn't do the legwork and come over and tell John, John, the tournament director, hey, by the way, I have this guy John Guerrero to play, then John Guerrero doesn't play until he can get officially added. Yeah. And, you know, so it's going to take some work on my end, but uh, and, as well as the, the coaches, you know, I, and I get it, you know, sometimes they don't have their rosters, you know, filled two weeks before, but I told them, I said, turn in a roster with 20 guys. I, you can always turn in too many. Why? Well, and, ro- and, and that's what I tell people too. I, uh, you know, maybe in, in uh, 96, maybe in, you know, uh, 2006, it was a little tougher, but now there, there should be no excuse. I mean, you got... You got your your phone. You can send a text message. You can you can uh, do the Google app online and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. so for sure, I think I think that's the way to go. And I think um, you know for for me, it's always been um, putting the the teams and the players um, empowering them. But now you're empowering them in a, in a different way. You know, um, you're still the expectation still falls on the coach, which has always been. But I think now um, submitting the rosters and stuff like that. It is definitely going to be one of those one of those uh, small pieces that needs to be done um, for this to run successfully. I mean, it's, obviously, it's been running successfully. You've been doing it for 25 years. You know, um, is there? I mean, I know, I know, you're kind of um, still up in the air. Uh, but you know, how how difficult is it to have your 25th annual and it be something like this going on right now? It it is difficult because you know I. Um, you mentioned I've gotten close to 100 teams. I've got, I think 98 was my, and obviously to have to say that you have a 100 team tournament, even though I fudge and I say I have 100 teams, I know that the real scorecard is, I think the most I've had is 98. So it was a goal to get to 100 this year. I don't think it will because of everything's going on. Um, we were going to have a banquet. You know, I had a sponsor I lined up. We were going to have a 25th anniversary banquet. I was going to recognize not from players to referees to teams that have been there. And I made the decision last week to cancel that because one, obviously with everything going on, I, I kind of feel that I can't go to my the guy who was willing to sponsor before. You know, he's probably going through tough times just like everybody else and now ask him to pony up some money for this uh, banquet. And at the same time, the social distancing things, our guidelines are going to be totally different. So let me give you a little what I've heard from, uh, you know, obviously anybody knows I stayed downtown in California. and We were going to have the banquet at the California. And I talked to one of the GMs, and they're scheduled, Vegas is scheduled to reopen June 1st. But some of the things that they're, and again, these things will change or uh, probably week to week, month to month. But right now, starting June 1st, there's going to be no more buffets in Vegas. Everything will have to be plate served. So the, the banquet was going to be a buffet, buffet style. So that, that would have changed that. And the second thing that they've told me is that... Um, like in, in the casinos, you're going to see the every other chair or, or every other uh, slot machine taken out. They're going to be have spacing, and on the tables, you're going to sit every other person. So with stuff like that, what they told me, I was like, man, I'm like, I don't know what are the restrictions they're going to do for the banquet. You know, originally I was looking at maybe a hundred people, but what if they come back and tell me I only could have forty people? I mean, so that was that that, that was disappointing. But I'll do it next year. Um, you know, it's I've, I've been having a, a kid around with my daughters, and I, probably a lot of people that listen to this know that my you know my three daughters uh, scorekeeping they're very active with the noise. And I was kidding around with them, telling them that this year in 2020 we should just make a movement that there's nobody nobody turns a year older. Everybody, you know, if you're 49 this year, you're gonna be 49 next year, and just just because. And I say that because I'm turning 50 this year. So it was. I was looking forward to big celebrations this year. I was looking to turn my 50th birthday as well as have my 25th, you know, Vegas tournament. 
and and again there's bigger things in life and uh but so that's a little it's a little disappointing but um we'll, we'll probably do that dinner um uh, i was working on a slideshow I was, I was trying to find pictures and i know you mentioned lorenzo mata I, I and i'll probably send it to you i can send you a picture lorenzo mata played in my tournament when i think he was 17 at southgate high school and I swear, he's probably as skinny as uh, Cesar Guerrero. I mean, I have to tell you, it's the funniest thing seeing Lorenzo at 16, 17 years old. And I was going to put together this slideshow from, and then also ask the teams, like, hey, send in pictures, you know, from all the years. And uh, so I'll probably do that for the next year. It'll be kind of, even though it'll be the 26th year, we'll probably celebrate the 25th at, at next year. Because I do rec- want to recognize, you know, there's a guy like Mike Zapata out of Arizona, you know, he just, you know, he wasn't looking to get recognized, but he told me last year, like, he's made every one of my tournaments except for one. He had, I think it was a wedding. So out of 24 years, he's been there 23 out of 24 years. Um, and so, you know, teams like, you know, Joe from the theater who's bring, and they bring multiple teams. And, you know, I wanted to recognize teams. I wanted to recognize players that have been playing. And, and uh, it would have been something nice. So that's a little frustrating. Um, and, but, and for sure, that, that that definitely could get put on pause. I mean, um, you know, with the with the with the way society is right now, and the thing that's going on, I think first and foremost is is everyone's safety. Um, and I think um, acknowledging um, and celebrating twenty five years um, is definitely an accomplishment. So I I acknowledge that, John, and I think you've been running uh, a great program um, over there. I know we've we've had our ins and outs and we've had our conversations um, about different things and you know we go back and forth and I'm sure you go back and forth with Joe Leon and a couple other people that you confide in but I think for the most part you've you've listened um, you've always been a straight shooter in regards to like this is the way I'm running my tournaments and you know if if you choose not to come back you know that's just kind of what it is and and some people take that the wrong way you know. You just got to know that that John Guerrero is gonna gonna give it to you that way, and and you know some people maybe oh I wish he was this way or I wish he was this way, and I think for the most part you know that's the way you are, that's the way you run the tournaments, and and it's not easy to keep this thing going for 25 years. And, and you're right, Z. I mean, um, and again, you're right. We have uh, there's a group of people that I've talked to, and and I, and I respect and. And, and I say this not to, I guess you could say maybe a little bit uh, I'm boasting, but just to be reality is that when my tournament started getting to a number that other tournaments weren't getting, I, I couldn't, I guess you could say, it was hard to get advice from other people because they were giving the advice based on their size of the tournament. And, you know, I think, and I'll be the first one to tell you, that couple, along with me stop refereeing, the next thing that changed my tournament was when... Um, I got the, the, the LBA logo when we started doing a lot of the LBA gear, uh, the shorts, the shirts. But it was also too, from my standpoint, I started running the tournament as a business. Because again, when I first did it, I was doing it because one, it gave my team, you know, because we we're playing all the tournament, gave us a chance to go to Vegas, hang out, have fun, gave me a chance, you know. When I look back at the first couple of years, I remember, you know, there was several years I lost money. And I'm not saying that, I'm not expecting anybody's pity. I just didn't know. I mean, I remember, you know, when I booked too many rooms at the at the hotel and they gave me a bill. I, I mean, I just had no idea how Vegas and hotel rooms worked. Uh, so over the years, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I, uh, you're never going to make everybody happy. And I felt like I just had to run it as a business. I had to make the best decision that was for me in the tournament. 
and then you know that sometimes teams are just not going to come back i mean there's a team in san diego and i looked up and i don't want to put that they got frustrated when i made it from i changed it from a 40 and over to the best and i started doing the age restrictions and they were a team that played every year and i mean i'm just about my team that played it 10 12 years and it was one of the hardest conversations i had because he was mad and he called me and he's like we're not coming he's like this is not fair for us but that was one team and, and if anybody saw the vets division blew up I mean, you know, we had now sometimes 22, 23 teams in the best division, which, you know, is great for that division. So I sometimes obviously, you know, I, I, it, I think I wouldn't be human if I don't tell you that some, I take some of this stuff personal. But and now it's just it's like what you said. It's like a grain of salt. Like when, um, you know, again, uh, I'm taking an, another story this year. So uh, we're this year we're making it a true 35 and over and a true 40 and over. We're not going to do the best division. And a, a team from last year came to me, and he came to me and he said, "Hey, he's like, why don't you just make it 35 and over?" And I kind of told him, I was like, "Well, I'm like, it was never meant for 35 year olds. It was meant to. It was always a 40 year old division, and we're just trying to like let a couple younger guys. Because I think everybody who plays knows that when you hit 35. <laughs> you're just not quick enough to play with the young guys, but then you're not 40 and you can't play with the old guys. Yeah. And so, and he said, well, you know what? He's like, what if you just had a 35 and a 40? He's like, you might have more teams. And he told me, he goes, if you had a 35 and over, I'll tell you right now, we will bring like two or three teams. So I put out a survey and not everybody responded, but it was like half and half. But most of I think the 35 and over was a majority. So I'm going to try it this year. I, you know, I listened, like you said, you know, somebody said, and I was like, you know what? Let me try it. Let me see if we have a separate 35 and a separate 40. And I think in the bigger picture, you know, the 30s, when I've done the best, it was always kind of hard because I had these modified rules. And it originally started, you could have four guys under 40, but only so many guys had to be on the court. And we had guys wearing wristbands. Yeah, that was, a, pu- that was, that yeah. was a puzzle. That was a puzzle to say that. And we did that, we, we did that for a couple years, and then I threw that out the door. And I said, okay, we're just going to have four guys. And it still was just hard. I mean, I think, yeah. again, um, I was trying to, you know, I was trying to morph the two. I was trying to accommodate the players that were between 35 and 39. And I was trying to accommodate the 40-year-olds. So so now we're going to just have, a, uh, so in Vegas, we're going to have a 35-year-old division. We're going to have a 40-year-old division. We're going to have a 45-year-old division and a 15-year-old division. And I think it works. So, I think it works because I think, um, I mean, during our, our playing era in our 20s, um, the 40 and over division was the, was the division of after the open, you know, and we've always saw it as that, but it, it is that I think the reason why, and I've, and I've said this on a couple other podcasts, the reason why the, the 35 and over division works and why it's growing so much is because there is no layoff, you know, that you, you, before you would have, you know, the guys playing in the open and then they'd sit out or they just play locally and then they wait to play in their 40 or they cheat, you know, yeah, but now, exactly. but, but now, you know, the guys are playing in the open all the way up until 34, you know, and then when they turn 35, it's like they get a, re, uh, they renew their license and, and, you know, their fresh legs again. So, so I think that's, that's the, I think that's the caveat for, for the 35 and over. I think a lot of the guys don't even acknowledge the 40 and over. Maybe I'm, I'm looking at it like the younger guys. And I think uh, I think it's the right move. And I think it's, you know, and you have to listen to the people. And I think you've done, you know, a good job. You know, I think your your LBA logo is is across the board. Like, you know, what people recognize, they acknowledge it. And, you know, I know you do a lot of things that maybe are are under the radar with the LBA. I know you've sponsored teams um, 
in different areas. I know you, you with your refereeing and stuff like that, you do camps. What are some of the, the other things that maybe, I mean, I know, you know, we're not in a position to, to brag or boast or whatever, but what are some of the things that, that you help support uh, through the LBA? I think the, the very first one was that, you know, um, you know, we started, I tried to start the LBA as a true nonprofit. And if anybody knows, if anybody out there has tried to do a nonprofit, it's almost more work. You almost got to hire somebody to make it a nonprofit. And I mean, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I say that because you have to have a board of directors, you have to have minutes, you have to have meetings every month, and you have to document the stuff and the IRS stuff. So we tried it like for two or three years and it just didn't work. And at that time, I was giving out some scholarships for some high school kids. And uh, so at that time, it kind of worked, but it was just so much work, like uh, clerical stuff to stay with uh, uh, the mandates by the state. So then I just kind of just turned it into a business, but I still wanted to give back. So what I've done, um, you know, and I think one of the things I'm more proud of is that ever since Tommy Nunes has had the high school division in Phoenix, I've no less than sponsored one team, you know, to go. And uh, recently it's been the Rebels. Uh, we call them the Albert, you know, Leonard Dominguez, uh, Tino's uh, team. But, uh, you know, originally I used to do two or three teams um, going back when it first started. I think when, it, when he first had it, I sponsored four teams. And so, but now I kind of just concentrate on, on, on the no team and, and he, he probably, if he put on the who's who, you know, I know uh, CG played for him. There's so many of the players that now play are successful both in the men's division and even probably the professional have come through Tino, you know, his, uh, his team that, and, you know, and I try to do the best I can. I take care of their entry fee. I get them uniforms, you know, to help them out with the stuff. And um, so that's something that, you know, uh, it's been, been something I've done for, for their, for quite a few years you know when the michael jordan camp did when it was running i tried to uh, send a kid or two there uh that camp has stopped so i try to do that stuff you know and obviously the schools that i use um you know uh, i don't use as many high schools as i used to when i first started i used a lot of high schools I mean, whether it was warren high school downing high school Eco pioneer um Bell you know obviously I would, Bell gardens yeah maybe after be with Al Clevis yet all the different you know I would always try to take care obviously with the, the fees but with extra uniforms and shirts and stuff like that so that's the stuff I kind of do I mean um, but uh, you know the it's all about you know you try to promote the kids you know when listening to you the other day uh, when I was listening to your uh, podcast uh, Issa Silva you know and it's one thing that I will t- I will say that I try the most is, is it, it's, it is about empowerment you know uh, in the referee world, uh, like you mentioned, I referee uh, college basketball. And the problem, you know, people say like, well, you know, John, why isn't there more Latino refs? And I'm like, you know, because there's not people in positions to hire Latino refs. And, it's, and, I, and I'm a firm believer in this. I'm not saying that I'm not, I don't want to say that we have crutch or, but the reason you don't see more Latino basketball players in the NBA is because there's not any there yet, or there's only been a few. And people in power need to, we need to get the Latinos in positions of power, like coaches, GMs, whatever, so that when they go and there's two players of similar ability, then maybe the Latino will get the chance. And, you know, and that's what I'm trying to do with refereeing. Obviously, my playing days are over in that side, but I'm hoping I could get, be in a position uh, as a referee, whether it's the high school, the, the, the high school, or, you know, I try to push as many Latinos as I can in the referee world. And if anybody's listening to this, and it doesn't have to be Latino, but I mean, I will help you out if you want to get involved in officiating. Um, I will help you out. But I just think we need more Latinos in position of power. You know, whatever the, the decision makers. I mean, and, and that's just life. And 
you know, I tell everybody is like, there's nothing wrong with it. That's kind of way life works. If you're the boss, you normally hire people that remind you of yourself. And that could be height, it could be race, it could be personality, or it could be a combination of all three. Yeah. But normally when you're, when you're the boss, you hire people that remind you of yourself. Yeah. And and I and, and I it, so I hopefully through the LBA you know the whether it's playing or or opportunities you know obviously now it's like uh, you know I just being being proud of the culture but uh, if I can help somebody whether it be playing coaching any of those avenues that you know through the like you said it's a small world with the Latinos there, there's a lot of connections that we have hopefully we get people in power of these positions and um, and then we can make a change and that that would be I guess you know. I'm not planning to leave this earth anytime soon, but it, that, I think that would be a mark that I hope, you know, 20 or 30 years from now that I could say that, you know, whether it be refereeing, coaching, or playing, that in 30 years from now, there's more Latinos in positions that can make decisions where, uh, as athletic directors, as principals, uh, as administrators, uh, because I think when that happens, you'll see more Latinos in those positions that we really would like to see. For sure. And I think that's that's what uh, we're trying to bring onto the podcast. You know, we got you. Uh, you're a collegiate referee. Uh, last uh, last podcast, we had Mario Perez. Um, he's a Roosevelt head coach. You know, we have Lorenzo, um, you know, playing professionally. We have uh, CJ. You know, we got Issa in, co- in the college ranks. So it's like they have to see someone, you know, and, and I think the the... The youth have to see um, someone that's similar ahead of them, too. So then that way they have something to strive for. And I think CJ uh, nailed it. CJ uh, Cesar Guerrero said, you know, I saw that Lorenzo can make it, so I knew I could make it. And maybe someone will, you know, see you on the sideline as a referee, or maybe someone will see Mario as a head coach and, and, and want to be that. So I think the more we put ourselves out there, um, Definitely, I know you've touched a lot of people in, in your years with the uh, Latino tournament. You've supported the Latino brand um, for 25 years plus, um, and and I appreciate it. And I know you know you're in a you're in a tough position uh, to make these moves. And I think you know you're listening to the people even with this uh, this whole situation that's going on right now. You know, I think you're you're hearing that the people want to play, so you're gonna find a way to support that. And I think that's cool. And I think. Uh, you know, the more the more we do that, the more we support each other. I think the the more the Latino culture will grow and we'll support ourselves, support each other with that. Um, so thanks, John, man. I appreciate you for coming on to the podcast, bro. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Z. And to anyone's listening to you and your families, everybody stay safe, safe and healthy. And hopefully we'll be on the courts uh, pretty soon and we get that Latino camaraderie and see how everybody's doing. But everybody stay safe and healthy. Yes, sir. And, you know, we're always rocking with the best and we're rocking with John Paul Guerrero. Thank you, John. All love, all basketball, pura raza. Thank you, John. Yeah, yeah we out. Yes, yes. You're now rocking with the best. Yes, yes. You're now rocking with the best. Uh, come from the wood. Yes, you're now rocking with the best. Yeah, yeah we out.